Welcome to the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. So put that spreadsheet away, grab a beverage, and enjoy the conversation. I'm your host, Justin Lane. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome to the show today, Matthew Flotard. Matthew is a strategic sales compensation leader with over 10 years of experience. Uh, he focuses on building partnerships across organizations to align corporate goals with both sales incentives and go-to-market programs, and currently the go-to-market strategy leader at Metadata Solutions. Matt, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Happy to be here. Yeah. For the folks listening that aren't familiar with Metadata, can you tell us a little bit more about what you guys are up to? Yeah, sure. So Metadata Solutions, it's been in the market since the early 2000s. They specialize in software for clinical trials. That's their, their main uh, their main gist. They've expanded from being just an electronic data capture for clinical trials into the commercial end, bringing products to market, using data, things along those lines, as well as even AI to help predict how a clinical trial may work. So it's a pretty large endeavor across the platform, uh, software-based solution, though, cloud-based. We also got acquired by Dassault Systems a couple of years back. So we're part of a larger team now and a larger company as well. Quick question. Were you there for that acquisition? I was. Yep. I was part of that. So I think that's always uh, an interesting process that not a lot of folks have the experience to go through from a sales compensation side. And I think there's always this harmonization project of trying to bring the call plans and sales teams together. Did you get to participate on that that project? I did, yeah. So we were part of a team that collaborated, what we like to call like the life science engagement. So within there, we were taking metadata as well as some brands that uh, were under the so that helped offer a full solution to our customers within the life science space. So it gave us an opportunity to really kind of take this full product lifecycle uh, of software out to our clients to solve their problems. So as part of that team on the back end, you know, ensuring that we had the right incentives in place, the right, you know, roles in place, as well as clear definition of roles and responsibilities. So when they did go to market, you understood which roles were focused on which products, as well as getting paid for which products, as well as who is the leader from an account management standpoint ensure that they were the point person on everything. So a very involved process, but nonetheless, it's a great, great learning experience. And it's, it's definitely been well, uh, worked well in the last couple of years since we've done that. Yeah. I always think about that idea of M&A harmonization of the plans as being an advanced sales compensation topic. But let's start off with the basics. How long have you been involved in, in sales comp? Yeah. So uh, I've been, I guess it's been a little over nine years now. I started my first career, uh, first job was uh, at Striker Orthopedics, med device company. So within there, I was working in the sales operations department and kind of, you know, working kind of within master data, sales comp, a little bit of reporting as well. So been kind of introduced initially based on that. Very straightforward comp plans, very transactional. I moved over to the SaaS space in 2016 with metadata. And part of that, I was part of a team, you know, just really small at the time helping support an organization as they were going through kind of like the standard stuff with SaaS, right? You go from paying on TCV to then paying on bookings, right? It's a pretty common pretty common uh, transition that we see a lot today. And, and we even talked about it a little bit, Justin, off, off air, right? On, on consumption-based yeah. 
right? And that's kind of a lot of different pros and cons to that. So been in this space for a while, got to go through that that whole process and that transition of off TCV to ACV bookings and really kind of focus on that. So it's been a you know privilege to do so. Yeah, it's that's a very common journey for SaaS cloud companies. I think that the vast majority of startup companies will start with this idea of total contract value. They'll try to tie uh, reps being paid with cash being received and kind of de-risk the plan from the company perspective. One of the things I categorize sales compensation plans as, as a, it's a, a shared risk between the folks on the plan and the company. And I think moving to uh, an ARR model, this is the first time in a lot of companies' maturity or life cycle that they've had this idea of shared risk. Is that something, when you guys were thinking about this of, oh, we're going to pay people on bookings? What kind of was, what kind of, do you remember the discussions about like what uh, the thought process was and what the, why people were worried, I guess, probably to move towards uh, that way? Yeah, there's a lot of pros and cons, right? I, I think it's, there's different stakeholders and different views on, you know, objectives of what we're trying to solve for. I mean, if you have a high level, you looked at it, right? When you're paying on total contract value, especially in our space with clinical trials, you have contracts that are pretty long, right? So within that, you could have a 10-year clinical trial, right? It's pretty common. You could have a contract that could be aligned with that. So being that being said, though, if, you know, on a TCV type model, you're paying on small increments every month that you get an invoice or whatever it might, whatever the cadence was. So over the length of the contract, you know, you're getting paid a certain amount over time. But if you had a rep there that's for more of a legacy rep, they've been there for a handful of years, they come into the year with a baseline of earnings, right? So you might be earning, you know, your OTE or close to it, maybe even above if you're a really high performer based on, you know, some past residual TCVs and you haven't even sold anything in the current year, right? So that's can be good, right, for the rep, but then it misaligns, like to your point, the objective of the, co- of the co- a company. We have a lot of risks now. We have bookings that we need to get to our growth targets, et cetera. So that was number one what we tried to solve for. But also what we wanted to do is create an incentive for the reps to go out there and close bookings, right? You know, we wanted you to go out there, create it, close the booking, and then hand it off to kind of our implementation team, customer service, et cetera, so they can then go out and close more, right? So we align the commissions towards the ACV value on something that they can truly influence and close, right? When you think about like a TCV contract, year five, you know, you're keeping up with the customer and making sure they're happy. But, you know, in a scenario, scenario specific for metadata, right? If a contract gets canceled, it might just be because the drug got canceled, funding, things like that, right? It's nothing that the sales rep maybe did to influence, right? So we really want to take front load the commissions as well as front load the influence for a rep, right? Onto the bookings. And that's kind of what happened with that change. And that was kind of the methodology and the thought behind it. The risk, like you mentioned, right, is, hey, if we pay this person commissions, you might not see it back, right? We Maybe the contract cancels over a certain amount of time. How we kind of came up with a way to approach that is looking at, you know, hey, the rep is kind of bringing in, we have, they have one year from the close date and they're responsible for it. And that's what we're holding them to in regards to quota and comp. But after that, you know, it's essentially out of the rep's hands at that point of influence. And we want them focusing on bringing new bookings in. Yeah. Over the course of your career, have you worked on any plans that have had uh, clawbacks for cancellations or changes? And yeah. And what do you think about it? Good tool, bad tool to use? Yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's, it's tough. It's never an easy conversation. 
dependent on it. Um, we have them, you know, as most customers do, right? Most, most companies do, right? You, you, if you pay something, right, and the company recognizes that as well as pay commissions on it, then something cancels, you know, you kind of have to recognize that as well, right? You got the good with the good and then you got to take the bad, right? So we definitely had that. I think the biggest thing that we've tried to drive is just transparency, right? You know, we really overly transparent, over communicate, document how we treat things. You know, we we think we're really fair, honestly, in that regard. You know, we we if it's the right thing for the company, we think it's the right thing for the employee and vice versa. So we really try to make sure that we align that. But it's never an easy conversation for anybody, really. It isn't. So it's uh just kind of making sure there's a person aspect to it, right? You know, we're all human. And I think one big thing that we've always tried to do is we do, you know, especially if it's a large callback, let's give options, right? Maybe there's a different way to approach it. You know, maybe spread that over time, maybe show them a path to success to say, hey, listen, you might have this large callback, but you can earn this back by doing X, Y, and Z, right? You know, pretty quickly. So again, there's, uh, you know, the human component as well as just, you know, being realistic about the situation. Yeah, I enjoy hearing you say that, right? I've always, you know, I remember, when I first started doing sales compensation, you know, plan design and working with companies, it was definitely solve a math problem and kind of just seeing it from the corporate viewpoint where, yeah, something bad happened. Yeah, the company, you know, needs that money back. They paid for something, they didn't actually get it type of thing. And then, you know, as I learned more about uh, human behavior and, and kind of how people think, this whole idea of loss aversion, like the extrinsic motivation that that a dollar to the rep provided was a fraction of kind of the the dismotivation or unhappiness that the taking it back created. You know, people hate losing more than they like winning in their brains. And so, you know, you have to, but I like to hear that you're thinking about the human side of the of the sales compensation plan. The third leg of the stool that I've seen, you know, become more important in the last few years is the the prospect, the client, and customer, the impact on them of sales compensation plan design decisions. And we can use, you know, your this example of going from total contract value to ARR. I'm guessing that provided a different experience for your prospects and, and customers. Did you guys think about what it meant from that, from the user customer side? Yeah, right, because you don't want to create, right, when you put value on one thing, you can devalue another thing, right? Now with TCV, right, there's the benefit from a cash flow standpoint, as well as, the rep will continue to follow up with the customer because they're getting money based off the invoice, right? So when you move to a booking side model with us, we're you know it's definitely an immediate concern, right? It's like, well, you know, who's going to be watching after number one implementation to make sure it's successful, as well as the happiness of the customer, right? We do have a hybrid type of role, and even with the bookings approach, right? You know, you're still that's your customer, right? They're still going to be have opportunities to have another event later on. If it's a subscription type deal, you'll have a renewal event, right? Whenever the contract's up, which is the same three years, right? And you're going to be held accountable for that, right? That's, that's still your same territory, everything along those lines. So it might not necessarily be fully in the comp plan that you know your customer's satisfaction is part of that, but your ability to earn down the road is tied to that 100%, right? You have that ability to you know, re-up with the customer, add in new products, bring in new IECV, incremental annual contract value, anything is along those lines. You know, that's going to be... If you're not happy with the current products you sold them, they're probably not going to buy on others, right? 
So there is a vested interest that we have within growing the business, you know, within the comp plan, just based on those, there's opportunities down the road. And then also too, just from a management perspective, right? You know, we work closely, our sales team works closely with our professional service teams and implementations, as well as our partners, you know, and if things aren't working well, the reps, they're very well aware of that, right? So it's, that's a kind of more of a management side where it's not maybe a lever in the comp plan, but if the manager you know, is hearing that there's issue that the account and the rep isn't kind of following up or helping manage that, then I would imagine that's, you know, a conversation at that point to hear kind of why. Yeah. So I'm not sure when people will, will listen to this particular episode, but we're recording it in mid-December. And, you know, I think there's some interesting dynamics that happen, whether if folks are on a calendar year or throwing what I'll call a Salesforce calendar, which is uh, the year ending at end of January, that reps, you know, feel pressure. Maybe they're below their target or quota, or maybe they're in accelerators, right? They're trying to make some some money. But there's certainly a, a push for most companies to close business in Q4. Seasonality varies, right, from industry to industry, but there's some pressure there. You know, I think buyers may feel pressure to to spend budget, you know, or lose it for next year type of thing. And then we have all the non-work-related things. And I guess where I'm going with this is is this idea that you know, I think oftentimes within the comp plan, uh, we create what I'll call unnatural pressure on the seller, which is probably experienced, uh, you know, by our buyers. And one of these things that I see time and time again is that people try to put some sort of linearity into the plan. They're trying to pull things forward in the year. Do, have you ever ha- done this type of component? And what have you seen work, not work? And, and would you advocate other people to try to force revenue into a different part of the year versus, you know, kind of a more natural organic flow. Yeah. So I've seen a few different things here. We've seen quarterly type of targets, right? Where you have a, a plan that's tied towards the quarter. So essentially, let's just say, you, you know, you have a, a target for $100 in Q1. If you, you know, bring that in, any kind of anything above that, you'll get paid on the overages. And you kind of look at the total running rate throughout the year as to determine if you get paid over problem is sometimes what you'll have is you'll have misalignment, right? You'll have one deal closed in Q1 rather than Q2. Maybe the quota, you know, wasn't as discreet, you know, depending on how granular you can get. And you have a manager or a rep who just hit their quota, hit their OTE, but the target for the total year was missed, right? So you get in these weird scenarios. And you also got extra pressure to your point that are, you know, a manager, if they're having a strong quarter, they're pushing to close that deal as early as possible. Maybe they're providing bigger discounts, maybe things along those lines that might not be as warranted as uh, it would be normally if they didn't have that time pressure. So I've seen that, right? But also seen scenarios where it's tough for a rep to influence that as well, right? So I also think sometimes timing you know, is more based off what the client needs and what their schedule is rather than what we can actually influence. So I think, you know, it's a few different factors and probably kind of long-winded way to get to it. You know, I think there's kind of different levers there. It's the quota, the timing, as well as who can actually influence it, right? If you're setting quality quota and you have a good line of sight, depending on when the deal is going to close, as long as it closes within that time period, you're you're kind of protected, right? You're, you know, aligned with kind of what the business is expected. But also in the same time, right? If a person can influence it to come earlier, right? You kind of want to be protected as well. So how we've kind of addressed that uh, specifically is from a year-to-year way. If I'm a rep and I bring in a renewal, 
that's separated, you know, maybe let's say scheduled for January uh, and I bring it into December, you know, how we do it is we only pay on the growth, right? The incremental business that came in. So if you brought in the renewal below, whatever the renewal value might be, it's not an actual benefit to the company as well as, you know, it's a benefit for the fact that we close the renewal, but it's not necessarily a benefit in the fact that it's below what we normally expect. So we truly kind of tie the commissions and incentives to only the growth in that scenario. And, but again, that's, you know, probably more of an extreme scenario where you don't necessarily want to drive someone uh, to kind of push something forward or, or out. It's kind of a balancing act that we've seen, yeah. but it's it's worked based on some of those different things. Yeah, my, my thought process on it has kind of oscillated over the years. And I, I like this idea of thinking about the what I'll call corporate context and kind of this idea of do reps have the ability to pull things forward or are they creating, you know, some unnatural uh, experience to try to do so and, you know, versus the idea, are you are you paying for revenue that you would have already gotten you know, extra for revenue or already gotten anyways through the quote, you know, quota setting and types of things. I like this, the corporate context aspect of it. This is one of the things I talked to different people throughout this first season of the, of the, the podcast. I think what I'm realizing more and more is that this, this idea of best practices, like how to do it and kind of a, a codified body of knowledge around sales compensation, it really comes down to, it depends, you know, on the situation. I think you have a toolkit of things you can use and then you have to apply them, you know, using wisdom, apply them, you know, at the right time, right place, right job role to find the most effective thing. But it's not a, it's not a cookie cutter formula uh, type of activity. No, I would agree. Right. And I think that's, it's an art and science, right. In a lot of ways, I think it depends is, is totally true. Right. And what might work for one deal might not work for another, right? Or what might work for one role might not work for another. And also too, from a company standpoint, it's easy to put out, you know, here's the best practices, but maybe a consumption-based modeling doesn't work for this company just because of the way they structure their contracts or the way their product is used versus, you know, having a, you know, certain type of role tied to certain things and another company, it, it maybe doesn't make sense, right? So it's it definitely, it's an, it depends. And that's where that kind of variability comes into. So a hot topic I've been chatting about with folks in the last uh, few weeks has been about the idea that they've done a lot of work around getting the comp plan designed of setting good quotas and maybe realigning territories. And now they have to roll it out to the field. Any communication? and roll out best practices that you've, you know, again, the idea of best practices, right? What's worked yeah. over what's the course worked. of your career versus what's not worked? Yeah, yeah. So what's worked, right? You know, I, I push for transparency, clear documentation, concise messaging. You know, when I think when you're introducing a brand new plant, right, that's the most significant and most important enablement period that you could ever have, right? I think you start from the highest level, you know, at your highest stakeholder level, really make sure they understand it and then roll that down to the managers, right? Your managers are your partners here to ensure that the field understands with, you know, explicit definition, what the plan is, how they can be successful, and then, you know, what their target is and how to get to that. You need to make sure that that's very clear, right? And holding many calls with the field, going through it, offering one-on-ones, you know, with reps, I'll give you, you know, just a personal example. My team, you know, we had one-on-ones on new hires over the last, you know, three years. Virtually, we'd hold maybe like one, you know, depending on the role, we'd have maybe once a month, depending on how many new hires we had. 
things along those lines, just to introduce the plan and go through it. And that's worked really well because they truly can understand it. On years where you're just making tweaks to the plan, or maybe there's you know some slight adjustments based on certain factors that you have in the plan. You know, I don't know if it's not as, as necessary to do that. You still have new folks that are usually getting picked up in that new hire monthly call. Um, but it's really good to identify, right? Align with the objectives of the period. Let's just say coming in the 2023, if we're trying to drive these strategic imperatives, how is the incentive plan aligned with that, right? And that's a good communication point. It doesn't need to be 15 slides. It maybe just needs to be one that highlights, here's the key pillars of the plan. Here's what's changed. And then here's how to execute based on your plan, right? And really kind of highlight anything that's new uh, for some of the legacy reps that have been there. But again, I think, you know, I've, I've done personally, I've had calls where, you know, it's you can kind of get lost in the details and things like that. I think just providing clear transparency of here's what the plan is, here's the details, as well as giving them opportunities for review separately, provide outputs for them to raise in queries, reach out to your team, things like that. It's you know just being able to kind of provide that detail and then also provide multiple resources via their manager that's been trained up on this and partnered with the sales comp team as well as you know sales comp analysts that are kind of ready to answer any questions. It's a couple you know couple pronged approach, but I think enablement is just a piece that's so important because if they don't understand the plan, they can't execute on it, and then you're you know the ROI is just completely lost based on that. Yeah, a couple quick follow questions. Who do you think should put together that plan document and then who should put together the communication collateral to go with it? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on, you know, your structure, I guess, at your company and how many resources you have available. If you have an internal marketing team or something like that or a communications team, I would definitely encourage you to tap them. They probably have a lot better uh, resources and ideas on how to make some nice graphics that are easy to tell your message. They could probably give you some good feedback on how to communicate well. If you don't have those, which I've had those and I haven't had those as well, right? In the past, I think it's, you know, the sales comp team is probably the best knowledge for that. You know, I think it's really important for sales comp. We can go into that too, if you want to. It's regarding like operational strategy and enablement. I think enablement is like a third pillar of sales comp and how you really kind of drive revenue, right? You know, and I think sales comp can, can be evangelists for, you know, for just the imperatives of the plans. I think they have a really big role in ensuring that the, the company understands the plan, the nuances of what we're trying to drive. Yeah. How do you gauge that understanding? I've seen statistics as to many, as many as, you know, 30% of the reps never fully understand how they're supposed to get paid within the plan year. And every time I see that, I go, that can't be true. But I keep seeing this, like, you know, from survey to survey, percentage of reps that don't understand the plan in the 20s, you know, 20 percentile, like they don't get it. What can we do to to help people to gauge if our sellers understand how they're, what they're supposed to do to maximize their earnings? Yeah, I think a big thing that's helpful, if you have an inquiry tool, something that, you know, captures questions, concerns, you know, maybe you have some sort of dispute or something like that. If you have a tool that captures that, I think that's a great gauge, right? Where you can see a numerical number to kind of uh, factor in, hey, if I had you know, I had 10 this month and now I have five, you know, that can be a good indicator, you know, as well as touch bases with leaders, right? I think from a sales compensation standpoint or any go-to-market operations type role is that, you know, you need to have a partnership with the field and the leadership. And that should be a question that's constantly on that. It's, you know, hey, do you feel that the, the team understands the plans? You know, is there an opportunity for us to meet with them, hold them, you know, office hours or something along those lines? 
So I think it's a kind of a combination of maybe some tracking, you know, based on those inquiries, as well as, you know, just kind of having a, a question out there to some of the leadership. When do you think is the best time to roll it out? Be, uh, and I'll give you some options. Before the year ends, prior to a sales kickoff meeting, at sales kickoff, end of Q1, like when are you? Yeah. What's yeah, the yeah, goal? Sure. Goal is kickoff always. Uh, that's my perspective. I think it's a good goal to have in hand that the rep has their plan in their hand when they come to kickoff. And it's challenging to say the least, right? There's quota, territories, changes. I am not a favor in communications going out to the field in the last part of like last week or two of the year, especially the quarter or anything like that. I think, you know, have them focused on the task at hand and that's really all they should be focused on. And then I think you roll it out probably maybe a week or two after the period, have those calls, those enablement. And if you're able to get the plans out on time and accurately do it before your sales kickoff, if you do have one of those, because, you know, it's just great for a rep to come in and full understanding of their plan. And then have that quota in front of them when they go to that kickoff meeting. Yeah, no, I, I like this. I like that calendar of don't distract them and probably the critical, you know, month, weeks of the year. Roll it out with all the materials and communication strategy that you have. And then when they show up, you know, available to answer any, any questions. But it's the idea that the sales kickoff is a motivational meeting versus a, again, a distraction of that point in time. If you roll out the plan and people, you know, immediately think like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is, we're not going to make any money this year. Or I'm not going back to club this year, as opposed to focusing on the, the agenda of kickoff. Yeah. Good, sequ good sequencing. All right. So you mentioned, so you brought up this idea of structure uh, within a company and how are, how are different, you know, business processes aligned within a company. And this is something that comes up again and again, as I talk to companies as to the idea of people will think about planning and design as kind of one owner, one group, and, you know, broad stakeholders involved. And then sales comp administration as potentially a different owner, different group, uh, different, you know, set of stakeholders type activity. Maybe no connecting technology between the two and the twain, you know, don't, don't often uh, meet or touch each other. We did a, a webinar earlier this year with a few hundred uh, companies and I asked the question of how many companies have both of those processes in the same business function? And 60% of them did not. And I'm like, whoa, I go, in my mind, you know, I have an opinion on it, but I'd love to hear how you think that optimal structure. And then you brought in like a third role, this idea of enablement. How would you, if you could structure however you wanted, who would own what? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I toured with this too, because I've seen right different structures in different places i think everyone has pros and cons right and it goes back to what we said earlier it depends right my personal opinion right is i feel that if you have one team that owns the operational piece the admin work as well as the strategy and then also the enablement that third pillar that i was kind of talking about i think you can kind of parse it up within the team to have people that have strong subject matter expertise in the system as well as maybe some more analytical focus for the strategy piece, as well as the enablement piece. So I think if you have it all within one team, it gives you this ultimate ownership as well as subject matter expert, right? You know, you'll have someone, let's just say have a team of analysts you know, three or four. I like to position them in a way where they are true partnerships with the business, right? They understand the business. They have, let's just say if you're a coverage model, it can be very simple. 
North America, MIA, APAC, and let's say maybe there's another group in there, maybe Enterprise or something that's separate, right? So if you have four analysts, each analyst would cover one of those groups and they would be almost embedded with the business. They would have you know monthly touch bases with maybe the leader that covers that business, any individual that helps from an operations standpoint, you know, however it's structured, they have that partnership. So they understand number one, the needs for that business. They're asking the right questions on a monthly, quarterly basis to ensure that that business is functioning correctly from a commission standpoint and incentive standpoint. They understand, you know, the strategy of what they're trying to drive so they can bring it back to the comp system and the comp team. So that's worked well in that regard. And then even from a high structure, right? If you have a manager, if you have a, a maybe a team lead on that, they can really look at the global go-to-market strategy and how to design sales comp to align with that. And they understand the operational, you know, functionality, right? Because a lot of times that's where you get a break. You'll go in, you'll create a great comp plan. It makes a ton of sense, but you maybe don't have that operational understanding of what data do we have today and how can we get there, right? And we tend to break that. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know, the year kicked off in January, we have to pay people and it's April and we were really in a tough spot because the territories aren't set up. The system can't function accurately. We haven't seen accurate reports yet, you know, and we're really off to a tough start, right? And we, in this great comp plan, you know, could have been fumbled based on that. So I think that's, you know, some key pieces there. And then the enablement one, I know it's, you know, kind of my my perspective on that is if you're this true subject matter expert and you're that partner for the field, if you automate your systems enough, you have enough bandwidth, you can then go out there and be that enablement person. And I think that's really, it's a huge benefit to drive revenue as that third lever is if the reps can understand the plans and it takes that a lot of that lift off the leaders, uh, such as the field leaders or frontline managers, the, that analyst can then be a huge asset to the team because they're going out there speaking to new hires, speaking to reps that have questions, and really ensuring that they understand the plan at hand. So it's a couple pronged approach, uh, but I think it's really strong to have that all within one sales comp team. Yeah, I meant to bring that up earlier. I think a lot of people forget this idea of new hire, and there's a lot of focus and attention put on like the initial rollout. But then I talk to companies with turnover rates, you know, anywhere from 15% to, you know, the full hundred, you know, and I'm like, you're, you're, there's a lot of opportunities for new reps coming into the company to lack the understanding, you know, of the plan coming in. So I think that's, that's a good reminder for folks that, um, you know, the same effort you put into that one time, you know, the big, big bang rollout for the whole force, think about what that experience is like for the new hire classes or the one-off uh, folks coming into the company. Yeah. And with that, right, you can work with your sales enablement. A lot of companies have these packages like videos, things like that, especially, you know, since we're more virtual hiring of remote employees now, you can build some videos, right? And leverage that and then leverage that so you can have new hires come on, they can see that. And then you have the high touch or like really kind of more personal type items reviewed by the analysts with the rep, right? So they can say, hey, here's your plan. Here's how it works, looking at specifics in regards to that. It really takes a lot of the lift off them as well as gives the rep an opportunity to kind of be introduced to the team so they have that person to connect with if they have questions. Yeah, you say that. My mind goes almost to the idea of in the recruitment process, is there a quick video to explain people kind of what's the earning opportunity and how would they make their money to take those questions off the table for folks? But Yeah, it's tough, right? I don't know if you... uh, necessarily want to do that per se because you maybe don't want to give out too much information around the comp sure. plan but you do yeah. want to depending on who you're talking to but i also think it's 
important, right? It's a selling point, right? It's, we have a great comp plan where, you know, I, we've been verified by, you know, consultants and people like, is that, that we have a best in class comp plan. We want to highlight that, right? So something that we do, not necessarily a video per se to the, the field, to potential you know, uh, prospects, but more to our TA team, right? And just, you know, having a, a conversation with them on a semi-annual basis, here's the compensation plan. Here's some key points, right? It's not in a lot of detail. We don't want to overwhelm them, right? I don't think they need to understand that much about the plan per se, right? Different kickers and things like that. But I think they need to have at least a strong understanding of, hey, what is the plan kind of based on from compared to, you know, the market, right? Especially yeah. SaaS, where you hear a lot of these terms, what do we pay on, we pay on bookings, things along those lines. But also it's the pillars of the plan, right? And what are the big benefits of them compared to yeah. other plans, right? Because you're selling the company, you're selling the plan, which is what you want to highlight. Yeah. I, yeah. As you say this, I'm thinking I'd, I you know, I'd want them to maybe know pay mix, is it capped or not? Is there a you know a president's or champions club of some sort, you know, uh, potential? Is there accelerator? Right. Some some basic questions that probably sellers want to know. Like what is that, what does it look like? Yeah, All right. and some stats, right, on how we've done in the past. So how many people make plan, things yeah. along those lines. So. One more topic, and then a couple questions that I like to ask everybody that comes on the show. I think the last topic would be, you have a, a blog that I went out and read some of the blog posts, and I'd love to hear, like, if you track any of the analytics or statistics on that, like, what's the most popular one? Like, what are people interested in when they come come visit the site and, and read about sales comp? Yeah, yeah, not that many people come, but so I appreciate you coming. Thank you for doing that. No, but it's uh, it's a good spot for me as I'm kind of thinking through some of these ideas. I try to post some stuff up there. But yeah, one article did get probably the most traffic. So it, it was um, how do we align go to market with sales incentive, right? And I think that's t- always touched on, you know, kind of during this planning period. And just you know what I tried to highlight, and I really did have a SaaS focus on it because it was really present to my mind when we were thinking through it. You know, is really trying to understand at a high level, right? You know, what the pillars are of the plan, and then really trying to drive down on each role, right? Depending on your on your overlay population as well as your product specialist and everything along those lines, what are they influencing, and how does it tie back to those top pillars? So, being able to kind of drive that and document that in kind of in a concise way, right? Which it's it's a challenge, nonetheless. I think a lot of people go through it every year. But it's really, you know, it's really trying to drive and connect those two together. So I think that's where a lot of it gets lost is that sales incentive and sales comp, it can be a huge lever that can drive a ton of revenue if it's done correctly, right? But if you have a go-to-market strategy that's different than what the sales incentive or comp plan is, you know, those two not tying together can, can leave a huge gap that I think is an opportunity to really be strategic as a sales incentive leader where you can provide a lot of value. And it's challenging. It's not easy. I would, you know, it's a lot of iterations. You have to get a lot of feedback from different stakeholders and you kind of manage that accordingly. But I do think that's an opportunity where this space can provide a ton of value because you are a massive lever to drive revenue. And you're also a massive expense, right? There's a ton of ROI on sales comp, right? It's one of the second, if not one of the biggest expense lines on a balance sheet. So how do we use that effectively to make sure that we're driving the right behaviors that are aligned with our go-to-market strategy. Yeah. No, I see a ton of companies think about the individual role, like uh, of all the different components of pay mix and, and measures and mechanics and all this good stuff, and not think about like this lens of that go-to-market strategy of, hey, you can create one role that's in alignment with corporate strategy, but we have to create a whole selling motion 
of different roles and how are they aligned across those roles as opposed to individually with the company uh, type of thing. And I think that's that's great context. And I won't even, uh, the words coming to mind is nuance, but it's bigger than nuance, right? I think that it's a, a key, right, to unlocking the revenue potential and the ROI be, behind the plans. So if folks uh, on the call want to go take a, a read on that particular post, we'll put the links to uh, to the blog and the, and the episode details. All right, last two questions, and then our time together is coming to an end. First one, who in the world of sales comp would you most like to take to lunch and have a conversation? Yeah, I don't know if I have a person in sales comp specifically that comes to mind. If we think about the broader sales world? Yeah, let's, um, so probably broader sales world. Maybe, yeah, that's probably a better way to look at it because, you know, I think he covers and he has some input on sales comp that I've looked at. I really kind of appreciate. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but Mark Roberg from HubSpot over there, he wrote a book called The Sales Acceleration Formula. I think that, you know, from a SaaS perspective, it really kind of detailed a lot of nuance and challenges that a lot of companies go through in a pretty data oriented way of kind of looking at it and kind of structured it really well. So if I yeah if I had an opportunity I definitely you know would like to pick his brain a little bit on some of the thoughts he has. All right, last question. I sit here in a library and maybe it's apparent or not to folks that I like to read. So I always ask people. I'm always looking for what's the next book and a recommendation uh, of books to read. Similar vein, if there's something around sales compensation, sales management, or sales, or if it's the book we just mentioned. Yeah. Is there a book that uh, people should go go have a read at? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably just say the book I was talking about right now. That's funny. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump into the second question there. But uh, yeah, the sales acceleration formula. I think that's uh, it's a great book. That kind of it touches on everything, like, you know, from the overall commercial selling motion, but you know, has sales comp specifically in there as well, which I think is a forgotten pillar, right? And I think that's why I kind of called out when I, you know, I call him out specifically as you know someone I would love to have a conversation with, just because. It ties it back into it's such an important piece of the different levers that we have to drive behavior and increase revenue uh, and be successful the way we treat our customers, everything, right? It's all driven by a lot of those com- compensation points. And that's a big lever as part of it. Uh, he ties that back into that as well. Yeah, I haven't read it. So I'm, I'm definitely uh, going to hit up Amazon and go check it out. Awesome. All right. And with that, Matt, I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Maybe think about a couple of different things slightly differently and, and a couple of new ideas. But uh, yeah, thank you for, for coming on today and, and sharing some of your background and thoughts around sales compensation with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much. The Sales Compensation Show was brought to you by Forma AI, the world's most advanced sales compensation solution. To learn more about how Forma AI makes sales comp more valuable to your business, visit forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales compensation in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thank you for listening and stay smart out there.